Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study um, uh, now of the Old Testament, we just finished up last month the five-year study of the New Testament. So uh, we've just begun our 15-year study of the Old Testament. I, I, that would sound ridiculous if we didn't have that five-year one already in the bank. So uh, we, we say we're going to do it. God willing, we're going to do it unless he comes back to take us away. We're going to plug on through. And I'm excited to be able to spend that time with you and over a 20-year period get to um, speak into um, those of us that are here every word out of the Bible, uh, which is kind of cool. And so uh, it's a great format for doing that. Um, we're already learning a lot in Genesis. We picked up some of the the main sort of um, topics along the way came up in prayer tonight. One of the things that we're looking for throughout the study of the Old Testament is the, it's called the crimson thread of redemption that started in Genesis 3.15 and works its way through the entire Old Testament and in, into the New Testament with Jesus. And we can see the promises of God um, and, and the attack of the enemy um, trying to stop it from taking place. Of course he can't, but he sure gives it a whirl. And you can see all of the chaos has happened because of it. Um, throughout the Old Testament. So it's a, it's a great thing to sort of watch and see. Um, we are going to move into uh, Genesis 6 uh, now, and these next um, two and a half, three chapters are about the flood and what takes place um, during this um, place and time. Now, um, in, the, in Genesis 6, there actually was a flood. Um, it's proved by the Genesis record as well as um, by Jesus referring to it in Matthew and in Luke. Um, the prophets refer to it in Isaiah, and the apostle uh, Peter refers to it in First and Second Peter, um, the, the idea of the flood, that the flood actually took place. The archaeological record also points to a catac cataclysmic flood. At some point, the fossil record in there also bears up. So this flood actually took place. It actually happened on the earth. And uh, so not only do we have biblical proof for it, we have an archaeological um, proof that it took place. So there was a flood. We're also going to read about the ark. Um, and the, the ark was, you know, not like a big ship, just like a ship or a boat. It was more like a big floating box. Um, it was made of cypress wood, and it was pitched with bitumen, which is asphalt, uh, naturally occurring asphalt or tar. Um, that's re that uh, occurs out of... Um, decaying organic matter. So, um, but it's fascinating, that word there, I'll bring it up again in a little bit, the word pitch. And um, it, when you read the dimensions of the ark, which we'll get to uh, in the next couple of weeks, um, it talks about a, an ark um, uh, being, in, and they use cubits, the measurement cubit. Um, cubits, they're not exactly sure how big a cubit is. They think it's somewhere between 18 inches and 24 inches. Um, and, and so if you think about a cubit that way, if it's 24 inches, this, the ark would have been 600 feet long and 100 feet wide and 60 feet high. 18-foot uh, cubit would have put it at 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. In, the, in any case, it was large enough to hold the collection of animals. Um, and the food needed the members of Noah's family and um, everything that was going to need to take place to survive the flood. Um, uh, we'll also see when we get to verse 20 in today's that God brings the animals to Noah. Um, know that the ark had three levels, so not only was it as big as it was, it had multiple levels, um, uh, and uh, uh, and and some sort of uh, window sort of thing with a roof all the way around the top level, um, and it had one door. Fairly important that it had one door. The flood. 
um, was caused by rain falling and um, we see in Genesis 7-11 also water erupting from the earth and so the, the effect on the, um, on, the, on the planet would have been tremendous um, as well as on the climate um, most likely it would have triggered tidal waves and all sorts of things that would have happened throughout the process and there's also if you remember back in Genesis 2 verses 5 and 6 um, it suggests that uh, until this point in time that rain didn't actually fall the way it does now that the, the way the initial environment was set up things were sort of watered from um, underneath and the atmosphere was such that uh, it's, it's believed and, and actually some pretty good scientific um, evidence for this that, that initially there was like a, a vapor that surrounded the planet which at this point was then done away with and then everything changed so the um, the uh, the idea of uh, you know people sort of laughing off the idea of this flood coming although they were warned um, but they they just decided not to pay any attention to it and ultimately what you need to know when we when we get into this picture of the ark and the flood is that it's a it's really a picture um, that illuminates salvation in Christ Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3 18 through 22 you may want to look at that later um, but um, the, the, the plan, the salvation um, and the ark were all planned by God it wasn't something that humans invented there's only one way of salvation there was only one door in the ark um, the, the ark was made of wood which sort of speaks of the humanity of Christ he had to be born as a man in order to save us the word for pitch that's used in 614 that I talked about is the same word for atonement that's later used in the Old Testament um, God invited Noah and his family into the ark once they were in he shut the door so they were secure like we're invited in um, the ark saved not only humankind but also the creatures within it and uh, um, Christ's death will, um, um, will delivers us from uh, and, and will ultimately deliver creation from the bondage of sin Romans Paul says that in Romans 8.18 uh, and um, the ark saved Noah and his family from judgment because they lead, believed in the promise of God. We'll see that. In, then you see that in Hebrews eleven seven. Uh, also, a couple of interesting things. Um, Noah. So Noah um, is sort of a picture, I think, ultimately of of what will become Israel, and and they they go through this judgment period and survive it. Um, but if you remember, the last uh, chapter we talked about Enoch. How Enoch was caught up to God. Um, before any of this happened and um, one thought is that that's a picture of sort of the end times where um, if the church is indeed raptured out it's sort of a picture of what happened with Enoch and then the believing remnant of um, Israel will actually go through and endure the, um, the tribulation period just a thought but something to think about kind of interesting because Enoch misses this and um, so there you go alright let's look at Genesis 6 I'm going to read the 22 verses we'll chat just briefly about it on the other side when men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose then the Lord said my spirit will not contend with man forever for his mortal his days will be a hundred and twenty years the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them they were the heroes of old men of renown the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain so the Lord said I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth 
men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish, it to, um, and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So there's some interesting things in there. The whole thing is pretty interesting, really. Those first four verses, um, it talks about the sons of God. Lots of questions about who the sons of God are in the passage. Um, And some believe that perhaps they were fallen angels. Um, but um, I would doubt that that's who they're talking about because Jesus was pretty clear that angels, fallen or otherwise, don't marry or reproduce. So um, that kind of takes them out of the picture. Um, My thought would be, and it's okay to have other thoughts, that um, that what they're referring to are the descendants of Seth, who we read about last chapter, and... um, the descendants of Seth, who, who were a replacement line, remember, for um, Abel, um, the sons of Seth began to intermarry with Cain's descendants who were already evil, and this um, weakened the good influence of the faithful, and it increased sort of the moral depravity in the world, which resulted in, in this explosion of evil that had taken place there in the beginning. And so we, we have that, um, I, I would say, is the most likely scenario of what's taking place in the process. Now another thing that's talked about there is the Nephilim or the Nephilites and this is another interesting thing to look at. Uh, um, they, were, they were most likely very tall people, nine feet or ten feet tall, the envy of the NBA. Uh, those are some tall folks. And um, this same term, it's only used twice in the Bible, Nephilim is used there, and it's also used in Numbers 13.33, which talks about a very tall people. And when the Israelites saw the Nephilim, they were afraid of them. It says they felt like grasshoppers in their own eyes um, in the process. So these were just extremely tall people at the time. There was a race of tall people. You know, we get some tall people that pop in every now and again um, into the, 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 the world. So um, it's not that big of a stretch, but there was tall people. Um, it's a different word, Nephilim, than is the word used to describe Goliath and his family, although it, it could just be the way it was recorded. We could be looking at that. It was believed that Goliath was nine feet tall, 
in First uh, Samuel 17, and and um, and so it's a possibility there's some sort of situation, or that the two things aren't exactly um, connected. But the Nephilim were a very tall race. This this is one of those words and thoughts that makes for an excellent word study, and word study is far easier now than it ever used to be because of Dr. Google. So. Um, when you have a question like that, and you think about what does that mean, you can Google it. Just don't immediately assume that the first couple of things you see are correct. That's kind of the issue, because anybody can answer those questions. So you need to sort of see who's answering the question, and then dig into it and spend some time with it. But, but you might, uh, might be something, if you're really curious about that, um, what the Nephilim are, that's a, a great opportunity to do some independent study and research. So uh, that's what's going on. So sons of God, I believe, were just the sons of Seth intermarrying with the descendants of Cain which just took the whole thing down and the Nephilim were, were nine feet ten feet tall people found twice in the Bible mentioned twice in the Bible but definitely existing throughout that time now the verses six through nine are kind of difficult to understand because some people think that um, God was, had you know regretted creating humanity and I don't believe that's the case uh, at all or that he's, you know, some people think he's admitting that he made some sort of mistake, and I, I don't believe that happens either. God doesn't change his mind, it says in 1 Samuel 15, 29. I believe what we're reading there is a, um, a deep sorrow that God is expressing for what people had chosen to do as they chose sin over him, as they chose to go the way that they were not to go instead of following him. And, and um, I, I think that um, this sin was deeply impactful and that I, I think it, it, it was so bad we really can't even connect with how bad the world had become um, you know I, I don't know if we're heading that way now but you know in, in many places there's the semblance of civilization here with laws governing things and, and uh, um, the you know majority of people in check think of a time uh, where none of that was true and that there was complete chaos uh, and, and people just did as they pleased without any sort of um, guiding morality, conscience, anything. They just dismissed the idea of God altogether. That's what had taken place, and the result was horrific. That's what we're talking about. Um, just uh, uh, the, the world had become a horrific, chaotic place, and the sin grieved God. And, um, that, you know, it broke his heart. The, the sins of the people broke the heart of the Lord, just as our sin breaks his heart now. Um, but Noah was there. And Noah was one who pleased God. But that does not mean that Noah was perfect by any stretch of the imagination, which is also good to know um, in the process. Even though he's called righteous and blameless, it doesn't mean that he never sinned. We know that there was only one who never sinned, and that's Jesus. And, and we actually um, find out about Noah a little more. Um, and if you haven't spent much time reading the Old Testament or Genesis, you may not know because the, the, um, the, the version that we teach in Sunday school, you know, especially with the children, is just kind of all the, the ark and the fun stuff and what Noah did and the animals and the two-by-twos and everything. But right after, um, and we'll read this in Genesis 9, right after the flood, when they get back out, the first thing that Noah does is plant a vineyard, and as soon as the crop is harvested, the very next thing he does is get drunk. Not just drunk, he gets naked drunk, which is a different type of drunk. And uh, this is, that's the Bible, and that's what happens. So he's far from perfect. He, he just gets out there, and there's a big thing with his sons, uh, and one of them sees him and kind of laughs, and the other two cover him properly, and it's a big issue. But um, the, the reason I even bring that up is that, um, again, we need to see that, that, that um, this idea of Noah 
um, is, is that he, he pleased God even though he wasn't perfect because his heart desired to walk with God. And that's what I always talk about with you when we're here. Um, none of us is perfect, and all of us make some bad choices. That was a bad choice that I talked about with Noah, he, and he seems to clean up his act some. Um, but all of us have made bad choices. Um, and yet, uh, if our hearts are genuinely bent towards God, then, then um, that pleases Him, and He's in us and with us and for us, and His Spirit now helps us to, you know, overcome and make better choices in this life. And, and so, like Noah, we live in a world filled with Eva, evil, and, um, you know, really what it comes down to is, are we being um, influenced by them, or are we able to influence, um, influence them? So are they influencing us, or are we are influencing them? That's really what this comes down to now in this walk that we have. And so just remember that about Noah. He was, wasn't perfect, but he wholeheartedly loved God. He was all in with God. And that's what God's really looking for with us in the process. And then in uh, verse 18, um, he says, I will confirm my covenant. And, and the idea of covenant, um, which is a promise from God, is, is very important in the scripture. Um, there's, there's like seven major covenants that take place in the Old Testament. Um, this one with Noah. There, he had a covenant with Adam. In effect, the Genesis 3.15 that we looked at was sort of a covenant with Adam. Um, he makes this covenant here with, with Noah um, that um, he, make, he will. When, when we see that, that God promises that humanity will never be destroyed again. And so that's known as the Noahic, uh, Noah, Noahic, Noahic covenant. Um, we'll see in Genesis 12 a covenant that's made with Abraham called the Abrahamic Covenant. You need to make sure you're catching that when we get there. In Deuteronomy, there's something known as the Palestinian Covenant or the Land Covenant. That's when the promise of the land comes to the people of Israel. Um, then there's a covenant made with Moses uh, in Deuteronomy as well. And we'll make sure that we see that. And it's, uh, it's a very important covenant. There's a covenant made with David, the Davidic Covenant in 2 Samuel 7, which is the promise of the... Um, uh, it's one of those crimson thread promises that the line of David will be on the throne forever and then we see that Jesus is a descendant of the line of David how important that is and then there's um, in Jeremiah the new covenant that's what we're under now that's good for all of us uh, and uh, that one pours out and, and uh, it's this new covenant because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit you know and all that they've done between God and his people and we're under the when you come to Christ you're under the new covenant which is very good and then another uh, very thing there at the end of verse 22, Noah gets to work, and um, he begins to build the ark, and it is a long process. Um, I think it's 120 years. Uh, I'm going to check that. I'll check it for you. But it's, a, it's not like it happens overnight. He starts, he gets to work. He's about 480 when he gets the word from God to get busy, and he's 600 when the flood comes. So that's like... <laughs> That's, he's, that's a lot of faith. It's never, especially if it's never rained, God says, build an ark because it's going to rain. And you're like, it's going to what? So you most likely had to have rain explained to you. And then he says, get busy and build this giant thing in the middle of the desert where there isn't any water and get ready. So, I mean, think about what Noah went through for a long period of time while he got ready for this whole process. And it's a fascinating thing. So... Um, We'll, we'll look at that next week uh, as we go uh, deeper, but that's good for tonight. If you're watching my video, thank you for watching. I appreciate you doing that. Love for you to visit, and uh, we'll call it a night right there.